Well, no introduction theme song to this particular episode because this is part two of the best PE teacher I've ever interviewed. Let's get straight into it and listen to this great interview I had with Paul Zentarski. Please enjoy and I look forward to you going to the show notes, click on the link to get to the radio show website and get the free content. Have a great day everybody and here and we'll be back tomorrow in another episode but here's today's guest, Paul Zentarski. And um, man, you got some good stuff on your Twitter page here. You, you post on that regularly? I do. That's that's the only social media I'm part of. I don't do Facebook. I don't do Instagram. I don't do TikTok. Just Twitter. Oh, TikTok and, drives me mental. Yeah, and and normally, you know, like I finally posted something that was humorous today, or sometimes I'll post if I'm doing a speaking engagement. But most of it is when I come across an article that I think is of value um, uh-huh. to people, and that's that's generally what yeah. I post. I don't. I don't post post about dogs or cats or anything else. Or the cake that, or the cake that you just baked. Or the what? A cake that you might have just baked in the oven. <laughs> right. No, I don't. I don't. I don't do that. You know, I, I try and keep it as professional as possible. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So how is it over in um, now? Are you in uh, your suburb? Is that Roselle? Is that where you live? Naperville. Naperville. Okay. And that's about, yeah. would you say about 35 miles out of Chicago? Is that right? Yeah, about 35 miles west of Chicago. Kind of like straight west of Chicago. Yes. Okay. So that's just a little bit of a distance from Sydney, Australia. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit of distance. And In fact, when, when, you... I, when, they, when they say go halfway around the world, I think I would land on your doorstep if I was halfway around the world. Oh, that's... That's probably true. When you fly yeah. to the U.S., how long does it take? Um, about well, last time I flew to San Francisco, it was fifteen hours. Fifteen hours. Yeah. yeah. No offense, Shane, but I don't think I'll be coming to Australia anytime in the near future. Yeah. No offense taken. It's a great place to live because, well, we still got coronavirus, so we're not that isolated. But um, uh, but certainly it's a great place to live. But man, traveling is one big pain in the backside. That's for sure. Yeah, I I can't imagine. I mean, even just going around to Europe is has got to be crazy. Yeah. How well, how far is it to you if you were going to fly to Europe? How long does that take? Well, d- depending on where. Like when when uh, when I flew into Barcelona, I did have did have a layover, but it's, it's totally about eight hours. Okay, that's a long flight, but yeah, in itself, that's it for sure. But yeah, we are. When they say Australia is down under, we are down under, <laughs> like <laughs> down under everything. <laughs> so that's good. Hey, first of all, thanks for taking some time with me today. While we're all bunkered down here in uh, in COVID nineteen bunkers in our own place, <laughs> as it were. Have, have so. your school shut down yet? Uh, pre- like almost, pretty much. So our, we have a skeleton staff now. Um, so that half, we have about, my school's very large. We've got 2,000 students in it, um, about 123 teachers. And half of those teachers uh, are now on for five days and half are not. But we had, out of 2,000 students, I think there was like about 18 students the other day at school. And the whole school. 18? Wow. 
yeah, yeah. 18. So we're, we're effectively shut down without officially being shut down. So that, you know, that's a, that's at least keeps everybody safe, which is good. And, that, and that's the main thing because it's um, like you guys in America, your cases are going out of control. Australia's on the same trajectory as well. We're just like, just, it's gone crazy over here. So, yeah, we, um, I mean, our schools have been closed for two weeks and they don't... Yeah. At this point in time, that they're thinking they might open up April seventh, but the way things are going and the and the spread of this, I think we're going to go longer than April seventh before schools start to open up again. Yeah, I can't see I can't see how that's going to be the case. So there's no chance of us opening on April seventh um, at all. That we'll you know if we stay on the path that we're on, I'm sure they'll close the whole thing down pretty shortly. But yeah. the, in Australia, we we seem to be doing reasonably okay in transition to online learning, which is really exciting. Yeah, we, we, so, we have to too. Yeah, we've been moving in that direction for a while. And, yeah. Um, yeah, we haven't been. And for me, as I, you know, this radio show that we're on right now, one of the areas that I'm concentrating on is I've actually been teaching. I, I got into online teaching when the internet first started in Australia back in 1996. So, um, yeah, a long time ago. And then I just gradually, continually progressed. And I've tried everything that's out there. And I've really got it, you know, I'm, I'm lucky that I've spent, you know, I've really, the last three years in particular, I have really nailed out a great process that's simple and easy. My kids love it. They find it easy to use and great communication. So, unfortunately, I'm, I'm, all, I'm over-prepared already for this particular uh, episode that's going on, but that that brings me to what question I wanted. The first kind of discussion question I wanted to ask you was, you know, sure. we've never met, and, and through obviously someone you know in the United States that I know, they brought me to your work, and I've read a whole bunch about your stuff. But I'd like you to tell my listeners just a little bit about your background and professional career because I think it's fascinating. Well, well thank you for that. Um, well, I talked for forty years. Um, wow. The, major, the majority of the time was at the secondary level. Uh, my yep. last 26 years, I was the department chairman for physical education, health, and driver ed at our, at our school. Uh, Naperville wow. Central School has about 3,000 students. Uh, oh, you're students, huge. Yeah. Our students have physical education every day, every year from grade 6 through grade 12. And wow. the, only, the only time at the high school level that our students do not have physical education is one semester they take a, a solid course in health education. So uh, I, think, I think it's important, or at least I felt it was important, to have teachers who were certified health teachers to teach that particular subject because you get into you know, I, I always called health the um, the cemetery of education. Any problem that <laughs> came up, any problem that came up in society, we put it into the health curriculum. So we talked about drugs and sex and and alcohol yeah. and smoking and you know and, and and just everything everything went back into health and nothing ever came out. Well, you know what's interesting is that's very different than the Australian setup, and I don't know what it's like. Well, I've got an idea in some other countries, but you guys are very different. Health and physical education is one subject in Australia. 
So yeah. for me, for me as a PE teacher, I'm compelled, which I actually love. I'm compelled to teach health. So in just let me run through this. Then you have specialist health teachers in America and specialist physical education teachers. Is that right? Yes, I had uh, I had three full-time health teachers. Yeah. I had eighteen full-time physical education teachers in my department. Wow, big department. Yes. And so that's so Naperville is so this is the high school that is you know just a little bit outside Chicago. Is that correct? Correct. About thirty thirty-five miles west of the city of Chicago. Wow. Um, so let me ask you this then. Like, there's a lot of and this is in my the notes that I had in preparation for this interview, is that there's a lot of areas in both health and physical education for teachers to get passionate about. You know, I know some teachers, they're really into coaching. I think more so in America than Australia, like really elite sports coaching. Um, you know, some people are into, you know, different types of sports and so forth. But you've got to, one of the reasons I wanted to interview you, you have a really different passion. In, in a field of physical education. And I'd really like you to kind of, I've read a bit, but I really want to hear in your own words about what this area is that I don't really see many other people talking about and as passionate about you. So what, what's that area that you're involved in? Tell me all about it. Well, you know, we're going along for the most part, like most of the schools in the, in, uh, the, the United States where everything was based on the sports model. So we were teaching lots of sports skills and, and yeah. it was about the rules of the game and, and techniques and whatnot. And we, we looked around and we found that there were schools around the country that were dropping physical education. In, in the United States, um, all of the sports have um, clubs or, or uh, programs, you know, in the community designed for kids to be involved in sports. So it really kind of took us out of the equation. We also looked around and said, like most people, our kids were becoming more unfit all of the time. And, and is that said, that's despite people being involved in sport? Is that right? I'm sorry, that's what? So that, that is, even though lots of kids are involved in sport, because this is a big area of my work. There's lots of kids involved in sport, but the majority of kids are unhealthy, even though... Is that, is that what you're saying was happening oh, in, in your area? Right. There's no question about it. Uh, just because you're involved in a sport, uh, you're, you're spending a lot of time standing around doing some skill work. Yeah. Not necessarily getting a lot of movement. Um, yep. You know, for, for us, our big... Our big eye-opening experience was in 1992, we got introduced yeah. to heart rate monitors. Gotcha. And, okay. and without a doubt, it absolutely changed the way I looked at students, the way I looked at teaching, and where I thought the importance needed to go. Because for years, you know, we graded students on how fast they could run a mile, for example. Yeah. And what a what a waste of time that is, rather than... Oh, you're singing my song. <laughs> yeah, rather than base it on how much time they can spend in the training heart rate zone, for example, which is more important for their health. Totally, totally, totally get... that. My whole work, 
I uh, and I'll, I won't go into it, but I interviewed Dr. Eduardo Sanchez, the Chief Medical Prevention Officer of the American Heart Association, just down in Dallas, and uh, that he, there's a whole all my work is based around exactly what you just said. This whole idea of heart rate, right? And and, and so you know that that was our first eye-opening experience, and I, and that and I'll never forget. We got we got them. Oh, we got them over the summer, and the first year yep. I could only afford five. Back in the day, they were very expensive. We could get yeah. four heart rate monitors that we could look at, which was which they had on their wrist and they had the chest strap, and we could get you know we could collect data that way, and those were two hundred and fifty dollars each. Then there was another wow. model that was where you could download it and get a printout and exactly what was happening all the time. And wow. uh, that, was, that was $500, very, very expensive. Well, yeah. So I, I get them in the summer, and we're starting to, to – co- I was an assistant coach in soccer, and I said to the head coach, I said, look, we've got these heart rate monitors. Let's, you know, let's start to use them a little bit. So we always thought that if we scrimmaged our boys – that they would be, start getting themselves in shape for the season. Yeah. So our center mid, we put a heart rate monitor on them, and in those days our high school association, we played 20-minute quarters. So we scrimmaged for okay. 20 minutes. We yeah. looked at his watch, and this is a center mid now, and he had exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. Three, three minutes in his training heart rate zone. And, his, and our yeah, training heart rate zone, yeah. Our training heart rate zones were set 135 to 175. Now, there were times yeah. when he was above that, certainly, when he sprinted. But, for, you know, and now this is a center mid that you would think, oh, okay, this is, this is going to be an aerobic activity. Well, it's not. So That's amazing. Oh, yeah, going back then, we said, okay, well, we know that for cardiovascular conditioning now, we just have to run our kids. We have to do some distance work, and, you know, we really have to, focus on, on conditioning our kids so that they, you know, they have the ability to, to, to work well in, in a game situation. So that changed our yeah. practice as a result. Then we started putting heart rate monitors in our students in our classes, and we found the exact same thing. During, during a class with, you know, during a typical, and our classes are 50, 55 minutes long. So during a class, yeah. let's say, 45 minutes of, of activity by the time you shower and get ready and all of that stuff. We, we had a hard time getting students to get 20, 25 minutes in their training heart rate zone. And again, back in the day, we, we had our heart rate monitor set, I think, too low at 135 to 175. Oh, my goodness. So here's a question I've got for you. You said you yeah. retired, was it about 2010? Is that right? Yeah, right. So, because uh, I want you to keep telling me the story, I don't want to go away from the story. But I have a question in my head that I think my listeners will have a question in their head as well at the same time. And here's the question: That was back in 1992, and you think you had it set too low. If you were to do that in well, when you were left when you left school in 2010, and now 10 years later, here's my question: All these years later, what are we not? Tw- we're 20 something years later now. Right. Do you reckon, do you feel like it would be any different today than it was back in 1992? Oh, I, I think for a, for a high school student, and I, you know, I, I did all of, all of the math that I could. I looked at yeah. 220 
minus your resting heart rate, minus your age, add yep. your resting heart rate in, 65 to 75%. I did all of that math. I did 200 minus your age, but, and, and I took resting heart rates from at like 55, 45, 75, and it didn't matter. It's more age predicated. So before I left, you know, after about two or three years, we changed our heart rate monitor zones from 185 yep. to 185. Yep. And if we if we get in if we get into a little bit of the story about creating the PE class prior to letting kids go to a, an academic class and found unbelievable results better with kids who had PE prior to going to a class for their PE class we up the we up the ante even more we had them work out between 155 and 200 beats per minute. Now we wow. knew it too. We knew at 200 beats a minute, that's the anaerobic zone, and they couldn't hold it too long. But yeah. we, didn't, we didn't want to penalize them if they got that high. We knew they were going to come down eventually, but we really yeah. wanted them to really work on a, on a very high intensity at 155 to 200. So, you know, with that class, we changed it and made it even higher. Now, I think if you're working with students younger than, let's say, 14 years old, their hearts feet like birds. So I think, yeah. I think probably yeah. 155, 155 to 200 for a junior high student, which for us is grade 6 through grade, um, yeah. grade 8, would be about yeah. right. 55 to yeah. about 200 would be about right for that age group. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. So, but let me, the question I'm, because um, I want to get, I want to move on to this whole concept of your work, which is this readiness to learn. I find that fascinating. But just before we get to that, so your, your kids, you said that soccer guy was only doing the mid, the center field mid was only doing three minutes in the, in the, in the correct zone. But correct. I, my, I've done something with heart all these years later in 2017 and 2018, I started using the zone heart rate monitors over here in Australia from a company in, uh, in the US. And I started using those, and I found I did um, some scoring of my kids very similar to what you did way back in 1992. But my kids were absolutely the same thing. They were struggling, and most until we put the heart rate monitors on them, they were just standing around. And in a we have the same 55 minute lessons. The bulk mm -hmm. of the lesson, there was hardly any time in a zone which would improve their physical health outcomes. Right. My argument yeah. is it's not changed. And you're over there in Naperville near Chicago. I'm in a school in Sydney, Australia, but they're identical all these years from 92 to 2018. They are at almost 20 years. They're absolute no, more than 20 years, almost 30 years. They're absolutely nearly identical. Right. That, they're just not in those zones. And I, I find that, that's fascinating. So you then went on, and, and this is where I've read your website, and I've looked at some stuff to do on your social media account, this concept which, I've got to be honest, I don't think anywhere near enough for you teachers, certainly in Australia, have ever heard about, this concept of readiness to learn. So walk me through that. Okay. Well, I don't know. Have you ever read the book Spark by John Rady? You know what? I have seen that book. I went to a PE conference in Nashville, in Shape America, in 2018, and I saw the book there, but that's all I have. I've read the outside cover. I haven't read it. Okay. Well, let me explain Dr. Rady to you. Dr. Rady yep. is a clinical psychologist, researcher out of Harvard. Uh, 
And yep. for your as a clinical psychologist, he was a specialist in ADD and ADHD. But he also, mm. as, a, as a psychologist, he treated all kinds of other afflictions like addiction, uh, depression, anxiety, uh, yep. you, know, you name it. And for years, because he was famous and, and, and a renowned psychologist, he used pharmaceuticals to treat all those, all those conditions. Right. During his journey as, as this clinical psychologist, he finally figured out that he was better able to treat all of those conditions with exercise better than with pharmaceuticals, with longer-lasting wow. results, and more importantly, no side effects. The first yeah. book he ever the first book he ever wrote was called Driven to Distraction, which is they think it's the Bible for dealing with ADD, because that was yeah. his specialty, dealing with ADD. And so he found that he could do it. Well, he, he heard about us and came to visit us in 2003. And so when we picked him up at the airport and we drove him to the hotel where he was going to spend a couple of days with us going to see our phys ed classes because he, he said, you know, he heard about our PE program. He looked at our test scores. And, and if you read the book, Spark, what really drove him was in 1999, our school district participated in an international math and science contest called the TIMS test, T-I-M-L-S. Okay, yeah. yeah. And our superintendent at the time said, hold our students accountable to the rest of the world as a separate entity. Just disaggregate our data out. It was our seventh graders who took the test. We were yeah. number one in the world in science, number six in the world in mathematics across, the whole, across the whole world. All the Asian countries, all you know, you name it, that's where we are. Oh. Yes. And and so Dr. Reddy saw that, looked at our graduation rates, looked at our test scores at the high school level and said, Wait a minute, you have daily physical education? And we said, Yes we do. He says, I've got to come and see your program. So he did and he spent a couple of days with us. Anyway, the first night we're sitting at the hotel bar. And we're having a drink, and the first thing he talks to me about, or and, and it was another gentleman with me. His name was Phil Lawler. Uh, he was he was Phil Lawler was in charge of the whole district physical education because we have we have 18 schools in our school district, two high schools, uh, five junior highs, and and 12 elementary schools. Anyway, sitting there, and the very first thing Dr. Reedy talks about is brain-derived neurotrophic factor, or yeah, BDNF for short. And he said, every time you do aerobic exercise, regardless of your age, you make new brain cells. I jumped out of the chair. I said, what? Why don't you tell school administrators this? Yeah. being physical education all over the country because we think we have no value in the, in the educational process, and we can do that? He said, yeah, you can. He said, we thought they knew it. Well... You know, Shane, and I know that our school administrators don't go to neuroscience conferences, and they Correct. have no back, and they have no background in neuroscience. So, yeah. So we, you know, going forward, he ends up ends up writing the book on it, and he he came in 2003, published the book in 2005. The whole first chapter is about his experience with Naperville PE. He was in the process of writing the book, but he needed a capstone, something to 
solidify his his thoughts and his feelings about using exercise to treat patients and and coming to see our phys ed program kind of just solidified it because again we were about getting kids fit we were about kid, getting kids using heart rate monitors we was we were using the technology and from 2000 from uh, 1992 to 2003 i mean we were 20 years into using that technology so i mean you know we we know what yeah. we were doing so now, my question my question is because I'm sitting here all these years later, right? You've paved the way, you know, and I've interviewed, I've got to say, um, Paul, I've interviewed a lot of professors on this radio show, and they got great content. But the one thing, because this goes, my, I predominantly want this to go out to, and it already is, as of this morning, we're in the radio shows now um, being picked up in 14 countries and 62 cities. So, you know, it's growing, growing really quickly. I'm excited about that. And it's, I wanted to go to physical education teachers and parents as well. That, you know, we're going to do a lot of work with parent, the parent communities oh. off, off the schools. But I can't understand. I, this what you just told me there, uh, and I knew about the book Spark, but I haven't read it. Obviously, I haven't read it. I need to now. Um, but I don't understand why what you just said what hasn't been then picked up from 2003 and spread out and been made almost mandatory like <laughs> like where are the roadblocks here well the roadblocks is if you think back about how you went through your educational process and yep. and you know school administrators when they go through their educational process the classes they take do not revolve around neuroscience and then here's the sad part these people and the politicians are making decisions about what's best for kids and what's best for schools, and they don't understand how the brain functions. And if and they that's did, one of the reasons. Yeah, keep going. Sorry, go. And if they did, then they would value physical education. They would value recess. I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. Finland has the highest yep. literacy rate in the world, right? Yep. Well, every after every 15 minutes of class, at, I mean, after every 45 minutes of class at, at the elementary level, they go outside, regardless of the weather, and take a 15-minute active break. Wow. Now, why are we not learning from the brightest and the best? No, we're having kids sit in desks, and I, I call them jail cells, because if you're if you're <laughs> like us, we've got Melmac tops, Melmac seats, surrounded by all kinds of it might as well be in the jail cell and then we expect kids to sit still i mean how stupid is this but that's just the way it's been done for hundreds of years unfortunately so and we're doing it out of habit we're doing it out of habit not doing it out of evidence right we're, well we're doing it for the sake of control and function i mean it, that's that, that's the bottom line and and kids don't learn by being talked to Kids learn by doing and being active, and you know that's how yeah. we develop as human beings. It, it, you know, was, it, it's what separated us from the animal kingdom as we were up and moving and gathering food and, and hunting and, and looking for the next place to settle our, our tribe, and, and that's how that's how the human race developed. And the, See, you know, uh, yeah, it, I didn't real I didn't realize that your work in the readiness because I've interviewed one professor 
who is from Boston, Professor Charles Hillman, who he is a cognitive neuroscientist. And uh, he's on, uh, uh, Professor Hillman's on a previous episode where he looks at the changes in the physical structure of the brain as a result of increasing something called your active heart fitness score, or the medical term is your cardiorespiratory fitness score. And I found that, I found that his interview fascinating. He's a lovely man. We had a great one-hour interview, but um, my work is largely focused around what are the improvements inside um, the blood vessels and the heart and what is the impact on your risk profile of getting lifestyle diseases by raising your cardiorespiratory fitness score, or what I call active heart fitness score. But what I'm fascinated now is what you have done all those years ago and then continue to do, like, you know, until the recent decade, is... Your work has taken what the cognitive neuroscientists do, this is how I'm reading it, and actually put it into the real world. Yes, we have. And that, and that to me, is that's, what the, that's the big downfall of, and the reason I put this radio show together, together called Expert Secrets, and with great respect to all the professors that I have interviewed and I'm going <laughs> to interview, they have not done what you've done which is let's take the stuff that you guys have put together, which is, you know, I call that highfalutin or high-level academic knowledge from their research. How do we bring that down and make an impact in the real world that change the lives of children? And that your work has done exactly... Oh, man, this is the best interview I've ever had. Oh, well, thank you, Shane. That, I'm telling you now, your work is so much more... I mean... I have not got into the idea of the readiness to learn like you have. That's obviously something I need to do more of. Mine's more about the physical changes to your body so you live longer and and better and your lifespan is better. But your one is just around the proof. That stuff that you... What's the name of the doctor who wrote the book, Spark? Dr. John Rady, R-A-T-E-Y. John John Rady, okay. And here, here's that, the sad part. Our, ours yeah. was, I mean, we really, we did, we had control groups and we put students in special classes. You really don't even have to go that far. All you have to do is, let's say at the elementary level, talk to a teacher who has students pri- prior to a phys ed class and then yeah. have them, have those same students following the phys ed class and see if they're not more attentive if they're not yeah. more alert, they're following class. And the answer is, they are. And, you know, everybody, yeah. all the elementary teachers, and, and God bless them, so many of them are females, and they, they, they want their kids to be settled down, settled down. I don't want them hyper. Well, you yeah. don't want them hyper. You want them hyper to learn. You want them to yeah. be ready yeah. to learn. Yeah, well, my son, my, son, my son is in the fifth grade. He's in elementary school, or we call it primary school here in Australia. And okay. um, he's in the fifth. He's in the fifth grade, and it's like, you know, he. Fortunately, he is not a distracted child, but it's like I. I want him moving and being active all the time. But it's just this whole idea where, you know, uh, your work was the opening chapter of the book by this neuroscientist. All these, you know, back in two thousand, early two thousand, to prove that there's so much benefit in this readiness to learn. That, that evidence alone is just, I find that, so it really comes back down to 
until you find a way to measure your actual impact of a person, a student's response to physical activity. Like I look at PE teachers right now that don't use heart rate technology. And they are simply they are simply guessing as to whether or not their students are doing any physical activity to a sufficient level. It's a guess. Exactly. It's like, it's like a best guess competition. I can't believe it. that is you've blown me away with all that stuff. It's totally down my alley. Well, and then you know, and then when you get further into the neuroscience, because you yep. talk you, you talk about dopamine, for example. Yes, I do, yeah. All right, and you also talk about serotonin. Yep. All right, well, sitting down with Dr. Rady in my my, uh, family room, I said, John, you have to explain this stuff to me on a basic level so I can explain it to my peers, the phys ed teachers that I'm going to be speaking with, that I'm going to, you know, who are my, who are working for me in my department to get them to understand what value they bring to the, to the, um, to the table, and he showed he showed me a Venn diagram, and the three the three neurotransmitters he talked about were dopamine, serotonin, and norepinephrine. Yep. So dopamine the dopamine you know that's that reward, pleasure, motivation, and drive. What I always say to people is, that's that runner's high you get. Well, at 73, yep. I'm still waiting for my first runner's high. Anybody yeah. who's told you that exercise is fun is lied to you. It's work. If it's not work, it's not true exercise. Serotonin helps you deal with obsessions, compulsions, and memory, those longer-term effects that you, you talk about in your work. Yeah, around nor- focused around happiness, yeah. Right. And then norepinephrine helps you with alertness, concentration, and energy. Well, what's yeah. nice about those neurotransmitters is they don't sit in isolation. They tend to mix and match. Right. Much, yeah. say, what, would be, what would be a popular drink in Australia? Gin and tonic? Uh, yeah, yeah, I get, yeah. Beer is, very, beer is very popular in Australia. <laughs> okay. So, so, Australians uh, are known for drinking beer. <laughs> a vodka mule or something? Anyway. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Any of those, absolutely. Okay. So the combination of dopamine and serotonin helps you deal with appetite, sex, and aggression. And the best way yeah. to explain this to people is, after a really hard workout, initially you're not hungry. That's, that's your brain telling you you're satisfied at that point because those two chemicals are working together. The combination yeah. of serotonin and norepinephrine helps you deal with anxiety, impulse, and irritability. Totally. And, I totally agree. In the pharmaceutical world, that's nothing more than Xanax and Prozac and, and all of those yep. drugs that people take, and you really don't need them if you're exercising effectively. More yep. importantly, at the school level, the combination of dopamine and norepinephrine helps you deal with attention. In the pharmaceutical world, Ritalin and Adderall are nothing more than a combination of dopamine and norepinephrine. And so we wow. have kids that are sitting in schools that are doped up that don't need to be because they just haven't moved. And so, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a big problem. You know, in the United States, it's, it's almost uh, one in every ten kids is diagnosed with ADD. And that's just because yeah. they can't sit still. I mean, they just can't sit still. And so they don't have and ADD. There's no real diagnosis no. for it. And, and what's interesting is, 
you and I are both physical education practitioners. I'll bet you had this experience a thousand times. I've got the kids who are supposedly the naughty kids in the school and mm. on my campus, and they come out to PE, and they're just angels with me because they love it. That's right. And, and, because because we, we get we, we get we give them a brain adjustment. That's what I call phys ed. I mean, we're the only subject in school that can cover all four domains: the social, emotional, mental, and physical. We're the only subject yeah. in school that can cover that, and yet they don't think we're important. We're the most important subject in school. We are. I know we're singing to our own audience, but the problem I just see. What you mentioned at the start of this interview is my absolute bugbear with the industry and my mission is to spread the word as much as possible. You talked about how PE around the world is based on sport and sports skills and competition. And, right. and I'm, sitting here, I'm sitting here as a, in a few days' time, I'm 54 years old, and I'm sitting here thinking to myself, hang on a second, how many kids leave school and go on to play sport throughout their adult life. Exactly go, right. They don't. They just simply... I looked at a research here in Australia that said 63% of adults do zero physical activity per week. And I go, I know what the impact of that is on chronic disease. Chronic disease is off the Richter scale. It's like it's a car crash. And... But we're not. We're teaching kids that the way that you get healthy is to play sport, and then no one right. plays sport. That, that to right. me, is the greatest brain explosion of all time in education. I don't understand it. Absolutely. In the United States, beyond the age of 26, eight percent of the of the adult population uses team sports to stay healthy. The rest of the time, it's, it's you know they're joining health clubs and and uh, you know dance clubs and, and all of these different things, that's, that's where people, you know, they're go, that's what we need to teach is we need to teach them about proper exercise, proper technique in exercise, proper basic movements so that they don't injure themselves while they're exercising. You know, and I, my, my, my big thing is, because we do health and physical activity in Australia, and my right. big thing is I, I so, and people who've listened to my radio show know that my own father passed away at age 46 from a sudden heart attack. And the language, so he went to the school in the 50s and uh, when, you know, uh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah late, uh, late 40s, early 50s when he was at high school. And um, the language of school then in physical education is no different than today. There's no right. language. That, there's no language that talks about something called your physical health destiny. Right. And I look at that and I go, right now, most of the kids in school don't have a disease. Chronic. Most don't have a chronic disease. I mean, some are getting metabolic disease now, but they don't have the heart attack and the atherosclerosis and endothelial dysfunction and 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 type two diabetes. But they soon do between the ages of 18 and 30. Cholesterol goes to the roof. Blood. One third of, of the adult population has got high blood pressure. And I go, if you understood your physical health destiny could end your life early or make you permanently sick and you had new language and new pictures and frameworks, I call them frameworks, essentially diagrams, in your brain, 
you could make the connect between the two things of exactly what you just spoke about. But that's, my, that's the great challenge and the, the thing that I think right now is really picked up with our radio show and then we've got some materials off that, but the radio show is, is expanding because all of a sudden people, the power, what you didn't have in 1992 and 2003 is the ability to take your message and spread it across the world unless you physically went somewhere. I understand you have done lots and lots and lots of talks around America. Is that right about this? I have, and and there's been a lot of a lot of uh, school districts that kind of picked up on our get ready to get ready to learn type PE concept. And again, it takes some it takes special scheduling because what we did is we were working on students who were struggling in particular subjects in school. And so we, we focused on that. In, in, in our case, it was reading and mathematics as we looked at our, you know, at our school and, and what we wanted to focus on. And, yep. and everybody, you know, every time we've, we've uh, every school district that's tried to initiate it, they've had the same kind of success. That doesn't matter what their, what their social economic is. Everybody says, well, you know, you have all of this stuff. You know, it, it doesn't take, I mean, we have wonderful equipment. Don't get me wrong. We were very, very yeah. blessed. It, it took me 26 years as a department chairman to accumulate it all, threaden the yeah. and all of that. But, yeah, you, yeah, can, yeah. you know, you can get kids with their heart rates up <laughs> with jump ropes or with running. Or oh, climbing totally. You know, I'm locked down at home at the moment with this COVID-19. When we finish this interview... I'm going out to the backyard. I've got a skipping rope, a kettlebell, and a boxing stand, and I'm going to hit it up for 28 minutes. Exactly that. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So can I just say, like, I, I want to, um, uh, uh, like, there, I have literally, I have not run into a physical education professional who's done as much work that parallels what I'm trying to do. I'm going to leave the interview with Paul Zantarski right there that we were just finished off and wrapped up a couple of minutes later there about a topic that's not related to the radio show. I want to thank Paul Zantarski for his time and for his message, which is just phenomenal stuff there. It's the tip of the iceberg, absolutely the tip of the iceberg. Thanks for joining me today's radio show, both part one and part two. Don't forget, get to the show notes, click on the link to the radio show web page, the Expert Secrets Roadmap radio page web, uh, website, get the free content and we'll be back tomorrow with another episode. Bye for now.